Hello and welcome to Seeing Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. This week we're largely talking about Manchester City's clash with Liverpool for the right reasons. There's still a few things to discuss from a game that lived up to the hype. Semi-automated offside can't come soon enough if Arsenal's clash with Brighton is anything to go by. And what do referees need to worry about when one team is running away with it? I'm Mike McCarthy, broadcaster and football journalist. With me as always, former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. And Keith, before we get into the weekend's Premier League action and a little bit from the Championship too, there were some new laws that are going to be on the books in the summer uh, from the IFAB. Uh, a quick glance at them from my perspective suggested it's mostly tidying up. Is there anything yeah. the uh, football fan and indeed referees next season need to be thinking about or is this minor technical stuff? I don't think there's anything major. I think that the one thing that obviously along the new laws and the Premier League's announcement that they're going to have five substitutes next season, does that mean that the average time, actual playing time of a game is going to drop from 57 uh, further uh, and that fans aren't going to get value for money? So I, I think that hopefully in, in the close season, there'll be a discussion between the Premier League managers and the referee body, the PGML and the FAA, to try to examine how best they can actually improve the amount of playing time on the field of play. You know, mm. FIFA are now saying we'll go for a, a minimum 60-minute game and everybody's laughing at that. But when I put out the sort of tweet that says, just a minute, the current average is 57. Uh, and this is probably the reason I think that they need to get referees to start to grip time-wasting. The six-second rule needs to be applied, throw-ins, free kicks. And I make a plea to referees Stop interfering with the game. You're taking far too long sorting out free kicks, management of players. All these things can be done quicker and more effectively, I think. Can I make a pie-in-the-sky suggestion, Keith? We used to do this a long time ago in the show where I tried to come up with a law and then you'd knock it down for all the appropriate reasons. <laughs> How about uh, in basketball you've got a shot clock? It's at the side of the court, and you you know once you've got possession of the ball, you have to take a shot uh, within a certain amount of time, or else you concede possession. Uh, similar idea here in that you have a clock that's running. As soon as the ball runs out of play, you have to get the ball back into play within a certain amount of time. Therefore, time wasting, in theory, yeah. should be reduced. What I guess would, I'm already knocking down my own idea, is if you put the limit at 10 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever it is, teams that are leading will all make sure they use the maximum amount of time before putting the ball into play. But I don't know. It's a suggestion. What do you reckon? No, I think it moves in a direction towards the fact that I've, for many years now, and I think we've discussed it already on this show at some point, that an independent timekeeper needs to come in and operate in a similar way. Uh, you know, don't rely on the referee and his timekeeping, which is pretty awful at the moment. Just take it off him and give it to someone, as they do in boxing, as they do in hockey and various other sports. So let's just try and grab it so that next season we're thinking about value for money for the fans and the entertainment level. Your idea is very welcome. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk if you would like to 
present them. Let's talk about the weekend's Premier League action. And we have to start with Manchester City's two-all draw with Liverpool. Brilliant game. And we mm. said last week, let's hope we're not discussing a, you know, a refereeing controversy. And largely, we are not. You know, I mean, let's just before we do anything about the, some of the little details, Keith. What about the overall performance of Anthony Taylor? I thought he was superb. Uh, I think that in the startup of the game, I think he got the balance right. He allowed a lot. There, there, there was some challenge in there. In there that when you look at Anthony Taylor of the past, he would have come out with the early yellow cards. But I think he just said, right, okay. He went in. I think he went in with a game plan. And that is, let the game breathe. He's got two outstanding teams that can play football. And when you've got two teams like that, they can make the referee look really good because he's, he's applying advantages. He's keeping the game flowing. The players responded to him. I think there was less ducking and diving uh, that we, we often see. I think it was just a brilliant game with such quality of players, you know, mm. and even goalkeepers having to do their job as well, which which is fantastic. And I think we should also credit the, the assistant referees because the offside calls were razor sharp uh, yeah. in, in large part. And the only one that had to be looked again by VAR was Raheem Sterling. And again, it was a shoulder blade offside. I mean, it was, you know, yeah. such a marginal call. So I, I guess we have to give them a, a fair bit of credit as well because the big, big calls, largely, they got right. Yeah, I think it shows that we have got in the PGMOL, despite my own personal criticism of the group, uh, we have got two world-class referees in Taylor and Oliver. Obviously, before the game, if you go look back in the history, I've always worried about, um, and I'm brought up on the fact that a referee within proximity of the ground doesn't referee that particular match, but... Let's bury that now and say that the PGMOL have got it right, that that Taylor has delivered on these games when he's refereed Manchester. He's, you know, we highlight again, he is an Altrincham fan. And likewise for Mike Dean, when Mike Dean's now refereed Liverpool or Everton, he's delivered as well without the controversy. There's obviously some heat, and there was some heat before, from Liverpool fans saying, just a minute, he might be one of the best referees, but he's a Mancunian. Um, I think his impartiality was was to the fore this weekend. And I think it was a top-class performance. Now, having said all of that, yeah, we're going to have to nitpick a couple of things because there were yes. a couple of uh, things that are worthy of debate and not necessarily wrong. Thiago. Yeah. Is he a lucky boy not to get a second yellow card? There are a couple of challenges that you could argue, Keith, were worthy of yellows in isolation. I think the one near the halfway line when Manchester City were on the attack and he came in late, that was a reckless challenge and that was certainly worthy of a yellow and should have had a yellow. But what happened was it broke and Taylor decided, I'm going to apply advantage. An experienced referee of his quality can do that. He can take a risk. He took a risk, but then he's gone into a problem area because the advantage is, is on. It goes on and on, and play continues for some considerable amount of time. Now, he's done one of two things. He's decided, one, he's, he's, he's going to park it because of a loss of credibility in the time the challenge took place. 
and the action of him cautioning that player? Or has he forgotten that it was Thiago that's committed the offence? I don't think he's done that because, mm. you know, Premier League referees are refereeing these guys inside out, uh, week in, week out. Therefore, I think the reality is he's thought, I'll let it go. The game's breathing. The players are responding really well to me. So I'm not going to issue a yellow. And of course, it's easy then afterwards, people like myself who can come in and say, actually, Anthony, when Thiago got his second yellow, uh, or should I say actually got his yellow, it should have been the second yellow and he should have been sent off. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I guess the other counter-argument is, does Thiago make the second challenge in the way that he does if he knows he's already on a booking? I think the mentality of players these days is that they don't worry, do they? It, it, they don't suddenly click in the mind that they've got a yellow card and change their mode of operation. I think if they're told to closely mark players, do a job, you know, let, let's let's make it quite clear. Some of the challenges from both teams were without question, like sometimes a bit dodgy. They weren't, they were, they were all fashioned in that in their attempts. So, but, you know, I don't want to be, I, I think we've been nitty-picky. I think, well, yeah. that, I think in law, Thiago's a lucky boy. I think we obviously then had Fabino uh, with his late challenge. Yeah, for people who haven't seen this, it's a it's a contact on the, on the leg which is high. Yeah. And the stills, you can make it look very similar to other challenges that have received red cards. But Correct. Stills are not the answer in all situations, are they? No, and neither is slow motion because slow motion can obviously make the thing look worse. I go along with Taylor. I think he judged that one accurately. So I think that we are nitty-picky. I think that Anthony Taylor's come away from that game with a great deal of credit. Uh, I think around it now is he's obviously in strict competition with Oliver. And, and I'd just love to see two English referees go to the World Cup. But, you know, I think at the moment, Taylor's probably in the driving seat. And, and I really don't want to sound like I'm nitpicking because it was a brilliant <laughs> refereeing performance. But I can't let this one go, Keith, just because it struck me as really funny at the time. So Mo Salah has a shot. Uh, it takes a deflection, or at least Mo Salah believes it takes a deflection off a Manchester City defender, goes behind... It's a goal kick that's given. However, there's a quick check from VAR to see if it hits the hand of a Manchester City defender. Mm. But a corner is not given. So yeah. they're checking for a deflection. And indeed, they are essentially saying, this has hit a Manchester City player. We're just not sure where. But the logical thing that should happen next, which is a corner is awarded because it's hit a defender and goes behind, doesn't then happen. Is this a VAR protocol thing? Because then they will be seen to be using VAR as something that is not a goal or a red card or a, you know or, or mistaken identity or any of the other bits where VAR can come in, can they literally not say to Anthony Taylor, "By the way, that's hit a Man City defender. You need to give a corner for that." I think if I was boss of the PGMOL, I've got a criteria. It's there in black and white. This is what FIFA and IFAB want to operate. The old pr procedure is, and the reason. I gave the referees the communication kits, which are now used by referees around the world, is to have a discussion and to help each other. So this is this is one for the team. And so I would I would like the, the sensible bit for the VAR to say, that's a corner, Anthony. 
give it and not to try and search out anything. So I, I do believe that, that we've just got to broaden and be cleverer with the technology that we've got. And I think the aim is that we want to come to the right decision. And, you know, let, let's, let's assume it's the other way around. It should have been a goal kick and a corner kick is given and a goal is scored from the corner kick. Then there's all hell to let loose. It didn't yeah. happen. But in reality, I do think that there is on the record and off the record. And, and off the record is, I think, that if you've got a very competent team of officials, then you help each other. This is why I want Stockley Park closed. It'll never happen, but that's what I would like. And the VAR eyeball each other with the referee before the game and after the game to discuss these things. Now... While Anthony Taylor was delivering a fine performance at the Etihad, uh, a few, well, more than a few miles, it's quite a long drive from Manchester to Norwich, isn't it? Um, Norwich to Burnley nil. Michael Oliver was also delivering a good performance and, and one really good decision, I thought anyway, stuck out. This is Temu Puki, who's just outside the penalty area when he's brought down uh, by a Burnley defender. Free kick given, and they check it with VAR, and he's bang on. Yes. And it and it's it's um, the thing that highlights here is both Taylor and Oliver move around the field of play, are able to apply a dynamic sprint, and if other referees in this group can't see that that's a requirement at this level, then that's what they need to work on. So that dynamic sprint, that movement, that that game reading, if you like, the anticipation, the cognitive skills that you develop as a referee, put him in the right position to make his decision, right? And he got it spot on. However, look, the reality is if Michael Oliver had held on to the whistle slightly and not blown it at the time he did, the foul that was outside the area continued into the area. Let's make no mistake about it. At that point, if he hadn't have blown, he would have been pointing to the penalty mark because the offence continued outside the box into the penalty area and that then becomes a penalty kick. But he jumped in early. And how do you go about making that judgment about when to just wait a split second with your whistle? Is that just down to experience? Yes. You know, one of the things that quality midfield players have and I've been round quite a few of them, is they just have, you, you look at De Bruyne, De Bruyne gathers the ball <clears throat> and he's got so much time. Beckham was the same. Uh, Glenn Hoddle, there, there are many, you know, Platini. They just, they just had so much time on the pitch. They were never rushed. As a consequence, refereeing's the same. And I've, you know, I've run the line for top class referees. I watch top class referees. You know, when when I've managed people like Webb and Clattenburg and Halsey, it, it were a remarkable amount the amount of time, if you like, which which is the risk factor that they can put into the decision making process. They give themselves time. They don't jump in. And you know, they give themselves, you know, the process to see, that's easy, to recognise. That's relatively easy. Thinking time is where you can expand to come to the right decision uh, and then, have, of course, to act. So I think, look, it's it, it really is picky 
But if I'm wanting Oliver to be in that top five of world referees, that's the type of criticism on occasions when Howard where Brightley came off the pitch or Clattenburg and Alsey came off the pitch, they were delighted with the performance. Everybody was happy. And and that fusspot at uh, <laughs> PGMOL picked the phone up and said, you know, an example of that was, I could. I think I might have mentioned it before, when I watched Howard Webb have an absolutely outstanding performance, outstanding performance at Blackburn. He was brilliant. He knew he was brilliant. But there was an area that concerned me because I knew what he was doing as, a, as an ex-referee. The fans around me was were like, phew, and ah, and a bit unhappy that he, he didn't look as though he was in control. His experience gave him this broad width of being in control, but he wasn't demonstrating it to the fans. And I, I can remember picking the phone up. He was on his way home. His dad had seen him. Bill was in the car with him and also a sports psychologist that was at the game. I rang him up and said, look, Howard, terrific performance, but I want to review with you the amount of advantage that you applied. It was too risky. And I got, there was a shout that came in the car and I'm sure it was from Bill saying, I told you, I told you. <laughs> and and uh, so Bill and I were on the same the same play. But the great thing about Howard, and I think this applies to refereeing, if you want to advance your career and you've got an assessor in and around the ground or he's watching your performance or an ex-referee's in proximity, ask the question. You know, ask the question, look, have you any advice to offer? Don't see it as a criticism. You can add, you know, a lot. And, I, you know, I, I watched Michael Robinson. Paul Robinson was at our game at, at uh, Penniston. I didn't spend enough time with him. I, I was really disappointed with that. I kept looking for him. Paul was is one of the most experienced former Football League referees. Terrific assessor. Different approach to the game than myself. But I could see a lot of his son out there in the middle at, at Penniston, like unflustered, looking calm. Mm. And, and I think he's taken advice from his dad. His dad gives him positive advice and that's what's accelerating his career. But I, I mean, I just hope that someone of that quality, and there's one or two in the Northeast Counties League, that really do need to be pushed on a bit, even though we're going to lose them in, the, in our league and we have difficulties getting match officials. I just want those guys to accelerate because they need it at the top level. Well, right at the top level, Michael Oliver and Anthony Taylor are going to be refereeing the FA Cup semi-finals uh, next weekend. Oliver gets uh, round four of Manchester City-Liverpool uh, this time and uh, Chelsea-Crystal Palace is going to be Anthony Taylor's domain next weekend. Um, I mean, it says a lot again about where they are in the pecking order with uh, referees yeah. in this country at the moment, doesn't it? Um, can we discuss what happened at the Emirates this weekend. There was a goal which wasn't a goal in the end for Arsenal's Martinelli and an eternity to wait to find out that, in fact, he was offside. Um, this, uh, because, again, we're dealing with stills and not a 3D representation of what's going on, it's still quite difficult to look at any individual still and work out exactly how far offside Martinelli is, but the technology of VAR suggests he was just. 
What did you make of it all? A nonsense. Uh, putting it bluntly, there's a point where technology assists. There's a point at which technology hinders. First of all, the amount of time it took, and okay, I know they were looking for another offence, and then they were looking at offside. And I, I, I want to I say that VAR is there to get the decisions accurate, but we've got to get to a point where I don't want a clock putting on VAR, but the amount of time it took loses credibility in the decision-making process. It's almost like not let us find a reason to allow that goal, the approach, which it should be. It's can we find a reason for chalking it off? My view is that I cannot get a definitive answer as to whether that player was offside. It's easy for the authorities to try to support the match official. People like Dermot Gallagher saying, well, you know, these are the reasons why. But even in fairness to Dermot, he makes a comment earlier today that the foot is not exposed. So where is the player's feet in this? And therefore, we don't have automated offside yet. They're coming for the World Cup. We'll see that in action. So for me, this goal should have been allowed and not, not counted out. I think what I would do is this. I would have at Stockley Park a big clock on the wall and I would be saying, if you pass a certain point, and that might be 30 seconds, you stick with the on-field decision. Even for offside? Even for these ones that take a while to generate? Yeah, I, I just... I think it's got better this year slightly on offsides. I can understand why the, the Liverpool player has been very critical that he doesn't like the delayed flag. I can understand that because Liverpool play a high line. As we've already said, there were some outstanding decisions by those assistant referees on offside. Could they have made them earlier? You know, the delayed flag is a goal going to result and all that. And mm. let's see the outcome and then flag it. I can understand his point, but we have to stick with the process, I suppose. And there are times when... I think we're left frustrated by the fact that the law shouldn't be about striking goals off. That's the point. Is VAR at the moment locked into a, a bit of a process here in the sense that we are dealing with offsides very much as a binary yes or no? Um, and therefore, because VAR has to find an answer, it is spending as long as it possibly can to find an answer. And so there you've got this situation with, with Martinelli where they're looking at multiple camera angles, trying to get the geometry right to, to work out whether a player is off or on. And it leads you to spending nearly four minutes doing that. That that seems to be where the frustration is coming from more than, than anything else. And and maybe this is one that just, as you say, it gets solved once we get semi-automated offside and, and maybe in the World Cup we see essentially that things like this won't be happening for too much longer I get that I get it in a big way but the reality is I'm looking with the experience of you know 50 years involved in refereeing and and I assure you from where I'm sitting and I'm not an old fart trying to look at it I look at technology I look at advancements the technology did not help that decision it did not give the clarity 
it went for let's strike that goal off and be and be right and then justify it. So for me, Martinelli was onside because the technology is flawed. And I'm going back to the the camera speeds. We're looking at camera speeds which are broadcast speeds. We're not looking at cameras at 500 frames per second. You know, and if we look around that area and, they have, and we're looking at the ball crossing the line, for me to get that decision, I've got, you know, in the development of that process and being involved in it, we finish up with seven cameras operating at 500 frames per second to make an accurate decision the ball's crossed the line. We haven't got that in the, in the area of determining whether a player is offside or not. Therefore, I'm sitting in a very strong position to say that I think that technology is flawed to the point that the goal should have been allowed and not ruled out. Quickfire one from the weekend, Leicester two, Palace one. Uh, Charles Sionchi of Leicester City uh, undoing the good work of Kasper Schmeichel by encroaching in the penalty area and then clearing the save that the Leicester goalkeeper had made from Zaha's penalty. Again, it's a great interpretation of the law. It, it, it stopped, essentially, uh, Leicester City illegally clearing the ball uh, after the penalty had been saved. And once again, good that it's being spotted, Keith, because, uh, you know, again, he was the only one in the box, really, and, and most players, it seems now, have kind of got this law and they, they understand yeah. what they can and cannot do now. They will get caught. Yeah, I think that I think we're clearly aware of that and I think that it was good that somebody, I think it was John Brooks, the VAR, one of the new boys on the block saying that's going to be retaken. And, of course, in law, it has to be retaken. So, but if anybody wants to understand, there's a great, if they go to www.theifab.com and they go to the laws of the game and they go to law 14, there's a summary in law 14 that, that actually runs through goalkeeper offends, attacker offends, defender offends, and gives you the outcome if a goal is scored or if a goal is not scored. And it's a really useful tool. A referee on the field of play has got to remember that. You've got the flow chart in your head. Yeah, if you're a young referee, it's it's worth always carrying the laws of the game book in your in your bag, uh, or downloading that app, the IFAB app, in, and and occasionally having a look every week at the laws of the game and around the penalty area because you know in in grassroots football now we're coming to the cup finals, and the cup finals can go into added time and can go to penalties from the mark. You need to understand that law, you young referees, because yeah. you've, to, you know, this is an honour to get a final. The last thing you want to do is mess it up because you don't interpret the laws of the game appertaining to the, the, the kicks from the penalty mark. Just refresh it. Now, there's a couple of incidents from the weekend. Uh, one wasn't really an incident, it's more of an entire half, which we'll get to in a second, but things that referees may or may not need to worry about. Cristiano Ronaldo uh, and a fan and a phone uh, being broken after the game. Is this something that referees need to to be aware of after a match? Is this something that they, I mean, they may not even be aware of. The, the geography of Goodison Park is 
such that Manchester United's players go in a different direction to the Everton players and indeed the referees at full time, for example. So it may be something that is impossible to see. But what did you make of that incident at the weekend? I think it was unfortunate. I mean, look, players are human and they get frustrated. And, and this is an act of frustration that doesn't bode well. Could it have been prevented? I think it might have been because there should be stewards around that tunnel to usher the players off so the players don't get involved. But this was a youngster and it's it's a petulant act. I think, I think the FA will look at it. Whether they'll take any action, I don't know. I suppose from Cristiano's, Ronaldo's point of view, instead of offering two tickets to Manchester United, possibly for an Everton fan, uh, he might have offered to get him a new phone. <laughs> and, that, and, and he's probably already done that. I, I, yeah, I suspect that that sort of thing may well have yeah. already happened. Um, I mean, of course, that game was already over, whereas Southampton-Chelsea was over by half-time. And I wanted to just ask you quickly about the, the dangers for referees in a game where it is so one-sided and Chelsea had the game wrapped up within the first 45 minutes. Coming out for the second half, what do referees need to think about in a game like that? Concentration. You've uh, you've got to be absolutely at the height of the game. And, and one of the things here is that um, individual players can get very temperamental, particularly straight after half-time, because if they're losing with a, with a fair score, the manager might have, have had a real go. I think that this the whole area is that you've got to manage the substitutions because like the substitutes are coming on and it's 4-0, 3-0, 4-0, can think, why am I going on now? Because I'm now going on and taking the stick for a, a, and coming off with a loss. I'm going to share some of the blame. I prefer not to be substituted. <laughs> uh, there's all levels of frustration. I think that, I'd be saying this is one of the areas where the communication kit can help because, you know, you, words of encouragement both ways. The referee to the, his assistant saying, come on, guys, let's keep on top of it. Let's, let's not get too relaxed because an explosion can occur. Anything can occur. Uh, let's keep focused. And, and likewise, there's a, proceed, uh, there's a procedure that people like Graham Paul and Graham Barber operated when they refereed it. They had 10-minute block refereeing. I, might, I don't know if I've talked about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, we, we've touched on this before in the show. And this is where you, the referee and the assistant, are in communication on every 10 minutes where the referee advises, look, I'm going to keep this game. I'm going to, my interference level is going to be high. I'm not going to free it up the game. I'm, I'm going to be mindful about it. Uh, the application of advantage, all these areas. So there's that type of uh, process that can help when it's such a one-sided game. But we're there to referee 90 minutes plus. You cannot relax. At the Premier League level, Football League level, any level of the game, even if it's a child's game, you can't relax because all of a sudden, you know, you've got a parent on the touchline that's getting frustrated that his son or daughter's losing the match. So I think I think those are all aspects where the referee's focus and his assistant's focus have to be maintained. And then after a game, you've always got the perspective of managers talking about your performance and whether you've missed something big. Um, Wayne Rooney uh, was not 
particularly impressed in the championship this weekend uh, during his side's 2-1 defeat at Swansea. Uh, I'll read you the quotes and you can talk about his behaviour as well, uh, which you've seen better than I have, uh, Keith. Uh, Talking about the penalty that he thought his side should have had, Wayne Rooney said this, I think everyone in the stadium agrees. The Swansea manager, fans, players, Derby players and fans knows it was a clear penalty apart from the four officials. I hope the referee gets banned and fined but that is not good enough. I've raised this with the officials a few times this season and you'll get the same rubbish reply six weeks later, but the season will be done before that. What did you make of all this, Keith? Well, when I saw the incident, I thought it was a penalty kick. So, I mean, I'm mean, i in agreement that the referees dropped a clanger and he shouldn't have done. So it's, a, it's not a good piece of referee. One of the things that I, I put in place and it's still in place, and that is 30 minutes after the game, the manager can knock on the referee's door and have a discussion. And I think that's what Wayne Rooney should have done. Calm down a bit, rather than shooting off in a public spat at the referee, because it does him no good and it tarnishes the image of the game. And that's why systems are in place. But, you know, I don't know. I also listened to what he said, read what he said, and Clearly he's frustrated that he doesn't have the communication level that I used to have with managers in the game. You know, I would get in my car and go and see the manager. When a referee's really had a poor performance and they've conveyed that discussion to me, I've gone, Let, let's go and have a look. Take the video of the game with me. I mean, obviously having looked at it and having the stats. So I think those things need to take place. So 30 minutes after the game, have a discussion. Ask the referee, could he, you know, could he talk me through how he saw that incident? Maybe Rooney goes in on with a DVD on a laptop. That's the first route. The second route is that Wayne Rooney actually marks the referee. So he can put that in and put a specific report in. And that goes into the game system that is operated by the FA and the Premier League, Football League. Then he's got the opportunity to pick the phone up with the PJMOL. And, and if he's not getting the answers that he expects, then I, I would expect, and this is the difficulty at the moment with Derby County and that who owns Derby County, but there must be a CEO that's operating within the, the football club. The CEO, he, he's saying, I'm not getting the answers. He's then every right to say to his chairman or his CEO, I want you to contact the PGMOL and seek clarification on instances. Mm. Well, that's clearly a, a difficulty with Derby at the moment in terms of their organisational yeah. structure. But there is a, there is also another string to the bow as well, and that is I'm sure that Rune is a member of the LMA, the League Managers Association, and I and I know Richard Bevan. Um, okay, I haven't spoken to him in, in years, but... Uh, he's a thorough guy. He's done a terrific job with that organisation. And Wayne Rooney is a member of the LMA. And he has the right to be able to pick the phone up and say to Richard Bevan, look, I'm not getting the answers I want. Can you uh, can you raise the issue with the PGMOL? And and I've had that. I've had that from Richard Bevan. I had that before Richard Be- Bevan, John Barnwell, you know, and Gordon Taylor at the PFA. If they want a clarification, that's the old purpose of the PGMOL, they've got enough staff. They spend 23 million on referees. Uh, so, you know, that's part of the, the task, explain. Because sometimes it's an education. 
another half an hour or more of seeing them given as, as whizzed by Keith. But before we go, the lesser spotted Tony Harrington is going to be taking yeah. on his second Premier League game. Uh, Newcastle against Crystal Palace uh, coming up for him uh, at long, long last. Yeah, I. why? He's brought onto the list. He's part of the SG group. Um, he's a reasonably competent guy. I don't know. I mean, I mean, psychologically, it might have been better not to have given him a game and then to say, right, okay, we'll start the season off. I think that when they bring new guys on, the whole objective is there's 380 appointments, the Premier League, 380 games. I think these guys have the right to a minimum of 10 games, you know, and in that sense, that will give them the opportunity to establish themselves within the group because there's all, all connotations of that and establish themselves on the list. But I think they've been a bit unfair. Or has he been injured? I don't know. He hasn't because he's refereed in the championship. So for me, I think that, you know, are they questioning his confidence? Because, you know, when, when I look at that list of appointments, the guys at the top, I've had 21, 22 games. People mm. like Taylor, Tierney, Moss, Oliver, Pawson, Atkinson, Dean, Coote, 19, 17. But I'll tell you what, there's a long list of referees. Hooper, 11. Scott, 53-year-old Scott, was out this weekend. He's had 10 games. Peter Banks, he was out. He had a good game. He's only had nine. Jones, another one that was out this weekend, only had nine. Gillett, who I think has performed really well, he's only had six. Brooks has had three. Salisbury, two. Harrington, one. So it's got a long list here. And I think that somebody's going to sit down and say, are we going to keep um, John Moss and Mariner? They're 51. Are we going to uh, keep Scott at 53? Because Dean, his mate at 53, he's gone for retirement and he's been a good servant. And then you've got Friend and Atkinson at 50 knocking on the door. So there's six referees out of the 22 that are 50 plus. This is a young man's game. This, you know, the Premier League re requires athletic, mobile referees. We see that in Europe. We see young, fit referees because that's the nature of the game now. And I think that needs a bit of a shakeout. Might talk about that in more detail. And, and, our, and our listeners might have a view. Indeed, they do. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is how you get in touch with the show. If you enjoy the podcast, do leave us a, a rating or a review wherever you get uh, your podcasts and let other people know about the show too, because we love to make this uh, a broader discussion uh, every week when we uh, bring this out. Keith, as always, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And we will see you next time. <laughs>